All right, you guys can have a seat, man. Let me uh, encourage you to open your Bible uh, with us tonight to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to land at uh, tonight. And so I just want to echo, man, what Carly just prayed. Um, man, just that it's not about us tonight, right? And uh, that we, we approach this night, we approach this message uh, with the whole idea uh, that we, man, we don't, we don't own our lives. We, we are not the creators. And that's kind of why we are in this series, right, that we are in called CORE. Uh, basically, man, who we're about, what we believe, uh, what the central message uh, we believe that is for our college ministry that God has for us. And so, man, if you joined us last week, whether it was man in person or maybe on YouTube or whatever afterwards, uh, you know that we started this with the me aspect, right? Uh, learning kind of about who I need to be, what does my life need to look like in order to truly surrender to the plan that God has for me. And, and I think something that hit me the hardest, man, from last week, even as I was studying that and teaching that, was, man, if, if I'm not doing my part in that, then I'm going to affect every single one of you guys, right? And so it's a big deal that we do our part. And so tonight we're going to switch to the we aspect. So we went from a personal aspect of me, a personal aspect last week, to a we, kind of a relational aspect tonight. And this is a big deal because we're basically taking another step further in what Scripture is calling us to be as a college ministry, right? Of, of who we are, of the core of who we are. And so as we look into this we aspect, this relational aspect, man, I would, I would tell you, obviously, this has a lot to do with our college ministry, right? Like the, the core of who we are. But man, even life in general, like you have to learn to relate to people. You have to learn to be relational. You have to learn to, man, you know, if you, if you mess up, you, you've got to learn to go to those people and make it right with whoever that is uh, in life, like in school or something. Like you, you have to, every single stage of your life, it's important to be relational, right? And so it's even more important, even in this college ministry that God has called you guys to, right? And so I, I would encourage you, as we go throughout the night tonight, don't just think in terms of our college ministry or even in your life personally, but think in a broad sense of, man, not just here and now, but even whenever I go, like in 15, 20 years or wherever I am, like this message needs to stick with me tonight because I need to learn and I need to know how to be relational, but especially inside of who we are. So we know last week we talked about, man, if we are not who we need to be personally, it's going to affect all of us. Well, this whole... Uh, we idea and this whole relational idea is kind of in the same aspect, right? Like we, we need to do life together. And I believe Acts 2 really paints a beautiful picture of that. So we're going to be in verses 42 through 47. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me, 42 through 47. And if, you, if you're looking in your copy of God's Word, it's titled, The Fellowship of the Believer. So last week, we were in this scripture, right, to where Jesus was talking. We, we talked about, man, there's red letters everywhere. That means Jesus is teaching. He's talking in that moment. Well, we're, we're kind of a little bit further in scripture tonight in the book of Acts. So this is where Jesus has ascended, right? So Jesus was here last week, right, speaking, teaching, talking. Now we are, he has ascended. And so we are looking at the first church. How do they operate? How do they act? And so inside this certain scripture, we see things that, that, that these apostles are, are teaching, not just the church, but even us today, about how we are to be relational with one another. And, and there's going to be a lot of notes, and I'm going to fly through this, so please, like, cheat off your neighbor or something, take pictures or write things down. But verses 42 through 47, here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So in in this certain amount of scripture, in these few verses tonight, we're going to break down six different aspects of how we need to live. You're like, oh my gosh, six. Like we're going to be here till midnight. No, we're going to fly through these, right? So six things that you guys need to take note of, highlight, write down or whatever that we need inside of our lives in order to be relational, biblically relational in the room tonight. Number one is this, we need fellowship. That's the first thing. You need fellowship. Verse 42 So as this scripture starts out, right, teaching and telling us how the early church is doing their thing, it said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So maybe take note of that. Teaching and the fellowship aspect kind of goes hand in hand in this moment, right? So we see, first off, we see this whole idea that first things first, we need each other. We need the fellowship of one another. And it's interesting, whenever you break this down, right, don't just talk about it or whatever, but whenever you break it down into the original Greek, it's going to be on your screen. Green is interesting. It says the ancient Greek word koinonia, translated here as fellowship, so basically the same words here, has the idea of association, communion, fellowship, and participation. So basically, summing it all up, it means to show, to share in something. So in, if you dig into the ancient Greek and kind of how it was originally written, all that good stuff, and if you replace the word fellowship with this original Greek, you see it has the idea of sharing in something, right? And so it's not just this idea of, oh yeah, I, I have fellowship, I believe I have fellowship, but really whenever you break it down, man, there's, a, there's association here, there's, there's communion among these believers. There's fellowship, there's participation. In other words, we are sharing our lives together, right? And, and I think this naturally causes us, first things first, as we go into this tonight, to say, man, does my life look like this idea of fellowship that the original Greek is calling us to tonight? Like, as I am in this college ministry, as I'm on my campus sharing Jesus, as I'm in my workplace, as I'm in my relationships, whatever the situation is, like, does, does my life reflect the original term of what fellowship means. In other words, am I sharing in something, something that's good, something that's uplifting inside of my life with the people that are sitting like right by me, like to the left or to the right, to the front, to the back? Am I sharing in something with these people? So here's what we see from from, uh, this whole biblical perspective that we're looking at is that fellowship, it means much more than simply just hanging out. And and I need you guys to understand that tonight, is that we're we're not just simply talking about this simple term of hanging out together, maybe going out to eat together, maybe going and just kind of hanging with your friends. No, it's, it's not as simple as just hanging out. But whenever you dig into this word of fellowship, it means, man, like how much are you sharing life with one another? Like how much are you going just beyond just simply hanging out one or two hours a week at church? How, how often do you go beyond just hanging out with friends here or there? And do you actually like share in the moment with them? How often do you just share your life way more than just a, hey, how are you doing? Like we talked about last semester, just at Target. Hey man, how you doing? Good, great, good, good to see you, blah, blah, blah. I'm going on my way. 
how often, right? How often do we come back to this reality that, man, life is so much more than just being around people. But we are called to get, do so much more and say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have fellowship with these people. I'm going I'm gonna to really share something with the people of God, right? It's going to be on your screen. But look at the things that we just share automatically as believers. We share the same Lord Jesus. We share the same guide for life, the same love for God. We share the same desire to worship him, the same struggles, same victories. We share the same job of living for him. We share the same joy of communicating the gospel. And here's what this means tonight. The list could go on and on and on. But here's what this means. The word fellowship does not mean that you have to get along 100% with every single person inside of your life. I want to make that very, very, I want to be the first person to tell you that tonight. It is okay if you do not get along with every single person that crosses your path. That's great. It's like Pastor Preach. You know, you can, you can love people without liking them, and Jesus loves you enough to like you, right? And so it's one of those situations to where whenever the word fellowship comes along, we are not just simply saying, okay, it's, it's one of these things to where you get around people and you got to have the same interests, you got to have the same personalities, you got to have all the same, let, let's check the boxes. No, that's not the idea of fellowship. Fellowship in this term is saying you guys identify with the same core beliefs of Jesus Christ. And since I do identify with these same core beliefs, it is okay. Guess what? It is okay if I don't agree with someone's opinion about a certain issue in the world. It is okay if someone disagrees with me in the world. It is okay if someone don't have my sense of humor, right, as dry as it may be. It's okay if our personalities don't mesh 100%. That's not the idea. Normally when you think of fellowship, you're like, all right, I fellowship with the people that are literally, they're like me, right? Like they make me laugh. We get along with each other. The whole idea of fellowship is, listen, no, like it is this idea of we share things because of the gospel, because the gospel brings us together, therefore, we have fellowship with other people. Because we share the same love for Jesus, guess what? We're going to have fellowship together because we share the same core values inside of our lives as to what we will do and will not do. Guess what? We're going to have fellowship together. Because we share the same core values in believing that Jesus is the Son of God and he came to this world, and we're going to share that with other people, guess what? We can have fellowship. That qualifies us to have fellowship inside of our lives. And so the gospel comes along, right? And, and the apostles and Acts come along, and they say, please take a deep breath. People in the 21st century, understand that you, you do not have to agree with every single thing a person believes to have fellowship with somebody. You do not have to get along with them like white on rice, in order to say, hey, I have fellowship with somebody. But they're saying, listen, as long as you have those same core beliefs inside of your life, as long as you share those same identities that the gospel brings you together for, the man fellowship away. So it takes this active devotion we see here in the scripture to have biblical fellowship. And this is a really big deal, I believe. Because to have biblical fellowship, it, it goes beyond just a few minutes or a couple hours a week. So it takes you actively devoting yourself. It takes me, believe it or not, I get paid for this, but it takes me actively devoting to, to do my part inside of this college ministry and my part as a husband and a father, all those things, right? And so anything in your life, anything worth working for, it's going to take your active devotion. And so same way is true for the gospel. So many times we separate the gospel and you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm going to do what I can, but I'm not going to be actively devoted to the gospel. And, and, and the apostles come in and they're like, dude, you need, to, you need to rearrange what you're thinking. Like, you need to really come, 
come to grips with the fact that you're wrong <laughs> in what the gospel calls you to do, right? And so inside of your life, I think we all need to examine, am I truly given this active devotion to have biblical fellowship inside of my life? Or am I coming to what is convenient? Am I coming to what I'm allowed to come to? Am I coming to what my schedule lets me come to? What, how would you rate your act of fellowship and your act of devotion inside of your life? And this is something the gospel calls all of us to every single day. God, where am I at inside of my life, devotion-wise, fellowship-wise? Is there something I could be doing better? Okay, great. Thank you, God, for pointing that out for me. Is there something that I could be doing, doing much, much at, a, at a faster pace? Okay, thank you, God, for pointing that out to me. And then what we were to do after that is we were to say, okay, I've seen this. God has made this evident to me. And so, therefore, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit more devotion. I'm going to be a little bit more active in this area of my life because I am called to it. Leads us to point number two. We need the breaking of bread inside of our lives. Verse 42. So as it continues to go on, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And then it keeps going, to the breaking of bread. And so I, I need you to understand, I think this is where it can get kind of weird. Whenever you're talking about breaking bread, you're like, oh, okay, wh where are we going tonight? So in simple terms, breaking of bread is simply a remembrance of what Jesus has done for you. So, so in this context, in verse 42, this is what the apostles are telling you. Like we are remembering what Jesus has done inside of our lives. Right? We are remembering every single day what Jesus has done for us. And so I believe it even goes further than just a one-time thing of like the Lord's Supper. right? But they are saying every single day what you are called to do, get this, apart from just calling it breaking bread, apart from just calling it the Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it, apart from doing any of that, what you are to do is you are to wake up every day and guess what? You're to remember remember who you are as a person that you are not the creator you're not the owner of your life you, you're not the you're part of the created category like like me right and so we come to every day we wake up we come to this thing called life and we are to remember who we are and remember who God is inside of our lives this is what breaking of bread inside of our lives look like like God every single day I want to wake up and God I want to remember what your son has done for me so here's a very easy way of putting it is that the Lord's Supper right is the most most common way of remembering this. But don't wait, let me encourage you, don't wait for a special occasion to remember and reflect upon what he has done for you. That, that, that's not the point in the Lord's Supper. Pastor Allen just led us through that, right? No, whenever we have the Lord's Supper as a congregation, or even in this college ministry, the, the point is not for you to just be like, okay, I remember it for this moment, for this season, and I'm not going to remember it again until I take the Lord's Supper again in this season and in this moment. No, a part of remembering is saying, no, this is the special occasion the Lord's Supper is, so I'm going to remember. I know I need to remember, number one, who I am, number two, who God is. And so, but even further than that, as followers of Jesus in this uh, breaking of bread and fellowship category inside of my life, I need to go to the point of saying, I'm going to wake up every day, and I'm going to remember what Jesus has done for me. This is an act of participation is what the apostles are calling us to. Number three, you need prayer inside of your life. Verse 42, so uh, teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So I think this is important because many of us, I think we look over 
we look over the idea of prayer inside of our lives, if you want me just to be honest. I, I, think, we, I think we rely on so many other things besides prayer in the church today. I, I think even in our lives as believers, in our lives uh, doing life together, I think we rely so, so little on the idea of prayer and what God has called us to do inside of prayer. I, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. But what you see is that prayer is so important that it is mentioned in the top three of what these apostles are calling us to do inside of verse 42, right? And so you're like, man, uh, yeah, how, how is this important inside of my life? Well, look at the category. It's up there with fellowship, breaking of bread, remembering what Jesus has done for you. And then as soon as they say, remember what Jesus has done for you, they say, also, you, you need to pray. Like, like, you seriously need to pray and, and don't stop praying. And this is what the apostles are reminding us of tonight in the scripture. They are saying, go further than just remembering. Go further than just knowing something. Man, go, go further than just knowing you made a decision. Go further than just knowing who God is. Go further than just reading and having knowledge. But man, actively participate in this prayer that they are leading us to. They are saying, you need to make it a priority to pray. Even though you remember, even though you know, even though these guys, Jesus has just left them. And they're saying, Jesus has just left us, but you know what we're going to do? We're, we're going to pray. Like, like, we know we need to pray. We know that him being with us, like, and he, he has left us, we, we are going to pray. And so if they hold it to that high of a standard, what in the world are we doing with it, right? I, I love how this one theologian summed this up in one sentence. They said, whenever God's work is done, God's people gather for prayer and for worship. Oh, man, this is such a big deal, right? You hear this all the time of missionaries. Man, if you've ever studied missions... All around the world, that was actually what my degree is in from University of Mobile. I studied missions. I went on to get a master's in missions. I, I love missions, right? And so that, that's what God has created me to do. And so as you study this stuff, you see this is true. If you, if you, get, out of, if you get out of the Bible belt for a minute, right, and see what people do on the other side of the world where they are literally dependent upon God to do what only he can do, you see these things inside of your life like, no, this is true. Like, whenever, whenever God works, it is because, it is a reflection of people coming together to pray and to worship, right? Like, any movement, any movement among, on a college campus, any movement in a nation, any movement in the world, you look back and there is always people praying prior to that movement. There are always people worshiping prior to that. God is not going to force himself and say, all right, well, you're being lazy and you're not taking me serious, so I'm going to send revival upon your, your campus, no, no, we're to be a people that says, God, I remember, and since I remember, God, I'm going to actively devote myself to this prayer moment, and God, I pray, I pray because I know you're listening, and I know you hear me. God, I know I'm your child, and God, I pray actively for my campus to see what only you can do. God, I pray for my workplace to see what only you can do. I pray for my relationship to see what only you can do. And so many of us, man, we just live life as if we can produce or continue anything in a good way. And we, we, we look over the idea of, of prayer. And, and I'm, I'm just like, man, what, if, what have we gotten to <laughs> inside of our lives, right? So here's the idea. Whenever, whenever people talk to God, they naturally experience an outpouring of God. And, and this is what you need to understand. Whenever you pray, right, so many people, uh, you could define it as so many ways. You could define it as, man, this, if I'm honest, it's boring, 
Uh, if I'm honest, it's, it's, it's time-consuming. If I'm honest, it is like, it's, it's tough to find times to pray. Uh, if I'm honest, my mind goes, I just start chasing squirrels in my mind, and, and it's not good. Like, like, you know, I don't have any time for all that stuff. But here, here's the reality when it comes to prayer, is that whenever we devote ourselves to it, and whenever we actually go the extra mile and, and we actively devote ourselves to that prayer, you naturally see an outpouring of God. And so we have to connect the dots whenever we, we don't pray, whenever we don't lean in to what God is doing, whenever we don't consider who God is, naturally you will never experience God inside of your life. And the same thing is true for our ministry, man. Like we're not going to experience who God is without actively talking and devoting ourselves to him. Leads us to the next point. We need the presence and the power of God. So as you pray, you experience the presence and the power of God. Verse 43. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Oh, man, I love how this is worded. I love this because it's a natural tendency after, it's no coincidence, after they say, devote yourself to prayer. Look, look in the verse 43. Immediate, it's period. And then immediately after, everyone, because of prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So what, what these apostles are saying is, listen, because we prayed, we were in awe of what God has done. Because we prayed, we were in awe of what he is doing on our campus. Because we have prayed, we are in awe of what he is doing inside of our college ministry. You see, without that aspect of prayer, without that movement of prayer, you will not experience an awe of God. And then so many of us have settled for anything but being awe of God. So many of us have settled with doing life every day, acting like it's normal as a believer to never experience an awe moment with God, when in reality that should be an everyday occurrence. Because these apostles are saying, man, you, you believe. You better believe whenever you take the attention off yourself and put it to, to God, to the creator, and you pray and you devote yourself to that, naturally what happens is you experience the presence and the power of God. And he, here's what scares me, if you want me to be honest. Even if you don't, I'm going to be honest with you. He, Satan is really good. He's really good at convincing people that they can do ministry among others without ever relying on the presence of God. Man, this is my fear, y'all, I'm telling you. And Satan, he knows what he's doing. Satan is good at what he does. And so many of us, man, he is convincing us that we are doing ministry in the right way or we are doing this Christian life in the right way and not once have we called on the power of God inside of our lives. And he has convinced us that we are doing really good inside of our lives by attending a service or two and going no further than that. And somehow, we as followers of this God, we say, man, I'm a believer. And you say, why? Well, X, Y, and Z. And there's never an all moment that you can bring people back to and say, because I've seen God do this in my life. Why? Because I prayed. And because, because I called on him, and because I asked him, and it, it's not this thing of I asked him and, 
he saw my idea and thought it was really good. No, this, this idea of prayer and experiencing the presence and the power of God, that is really a movement that we're joining into with him. It's not something that we are taking to him for the very first time. Before the beginning of creation, we see that, that God knew what he was doing. And so here we are, 2023, and we're like, God, I, I'm going to bring you something really good today. And, and God, I, I don't know how you're going to handle it, or I don't know how you're going to handle my mistakes and my failures. And, and, and I don't really know what this all moment is going to look like with you. And we often forget that, man, no, we are simply just, our life is like that. And so as you approach prayer, understand, in order to see the presence and power of God, you're not giving God suggestions on good things to happen in this world. You're joining in with his mission. And so this what we're obviously doing is that we are saying, God, we want to see your presence, and we don't want Satan to get in the way of that. We don't want Satan to allow us to think that we can be a good person and just see just everyday results, God, we want to rely on you and understand that only you can do the things that you can do. We can never produce that, God. And so Satan, he, he needs to know his place inside of your life. And often what that takes is you telling him his place because of Jesus inside of your life. And without you doing that, you're going to be confused. You're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to have an identity crisis. You're not going to know what to do because Satan is having his way inside of your life. And, and the word of God says, don't, don't let him do that. So if you want to see heavenly results, this is super simple. Make sure your prayers are coexisting with heaven's desires. If, if you want to see those results, make sure you, you're, you're coexisting with heaven's desires. And you're like, man, well, how do I know what heaven wants? And i got three words for you. Read your Bible. Read this book, right? Because as you, as you read this book, you, you see all the things about heaven's desires. You see that it is centered on God's glory. Heaven is centered on everything of God and nothing but us. And so it is centered on these things of we're revolving around the creator of the universe, Heaven is, is centered on, we want to see people transformed and not just good people inside the world. Heaven is centered on, man, we want to see Jesus known on this campus. Heaven is centered on everything but normally what we put in the sights of our, of our prayers. And so think about what heaven desires. Look in your Bible and see, oh, man, th this is what heaven is. This is, this is what, what heaven is like. And so, therefore, are my prayers coexisting with those desires. And so here's a very simple way of you knowing that tonight. Instead of your prayers consisting of phrases like things I want or I wish or my desire, start praying these different prayers that consist of not my will but yours. Your kingdom come or maybe my life is yours. And these are just a few examples that, that we could share tonight. But whatever your prayer life looks like, however, if it's self-centered or if it's like all about you or all about your plans and desires and whatever, instead of praying those things, pray things along the lines of getting the attention off of yourself, off of your future, off of your plans. Not that that's bad, but make the goal of your prayer life to coexist with heaven's desires. Because as you do that, you're going to see, man, as I coexist with this thing, with this movement, this eternal movement, things are going to happen in my life that are naturally going to fall in place inside of my life. I'm going to pray about my future. I'm going to pray about my spouse. I'm going to pray about all the, my schooling. I'm going to pray, I hope I pass this class. I'm going to pray about all these things. That's not bad. But the majority of your prayers should be centered on God. 
I want your kingdom to come. And God, God I, I want to see you do what only you can do on, on this campus. I want to see what only you can do inside this group of people. And I, I just, I think about these things and I'm like, man, what if we just took God up on his offer? And, and if we did go a step further and maybe he didn't answer your prayer in five months or even in a year, would we still keep praying and would we still keep believing? Would we still keep coexisting with heaven's desires and trusting that one day God will come through with that answer? Next thing you need, generosity. We need generosity. We need to be generous inside of our lives. Verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together. Just picture this. They were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Oh, man, th this is really cool. Because normally whenever we think of generosity, we, we naturally think of money, right? And we naturally think of, uh, man, whenever I hear the church talk about generosity or whatever, like I, it's normally a tithing sermon. It's normally a sermon of, okay, uh, you know, I know you guys don't have checks and you don't turn your envelope in, but like you, maybe you give online. You're like, isn't that enough to be generous? Like I, I think I'm doing a really good being generous. I, I only, like I don't make enough to even give 10%, but like I'm giving above and beyond that. I really feel like I'm doing good. And, and that's not a bad thing, but whenever it comes to generosity, Here's a very simple, clear depiction of what, is it, what it is. It is a desire to be selfless for the good of someone else. For the good of someone else, right? And so this is whole desire that you're like, man, I'm going to be generous way beyond even money. Just think about what's on your screen. Number one, think about what they were doing to be generous. They were together. So they weren't living life secluded. They were all together in fellowship. Number two, they had everything in common. Not that they all got along, but, but they did have everything in common when it comes to Jesus. And number three, they sold in order to, to give. And so, so th these apostles are, are saying, you know what? Yes, it's, it's good. Obviously, give that tithe, give that money. That's what God, that's what God says in his word. But man, make generosity so much further than that. Make, make generosity so much bigger inside of your life. Make it, make it a goal to be selfless for the sake of someone else. God just doesn't just want your money, right? He wants, he wants these things in your life to where he sees that you are desiring to be put in the place of somebody who needs something of eternal worth. And so that is how you be generous. That is how, that's what they did what they did. That's why they sold what they did. They didn't sell things in order to be like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect it so I can buy something even bigger the next time. No, they sold it in order to say, all right, to be totally selfless, I'm going to give these things away. And for you, it may look different for you. I'm not saying it's going to look the exact same, but whatever it looks like inside of your life, think about to yourself, what, what in my life could I implement? Like, think right now, what could I implement that I could be generous with inside of my life? I don't have much. I don't even have a job, but there's something I can be generous with. There's something that I can put in the place of God and say, listen, God, I want you to do what only you can do through this generosity inside of my life. One theologian, they summed it up like this when it comes to the early church. They said, the Jews had a tremendous custom of hospitality during any major feast like Pentecost. Visitors were received into private homes, and no one could charge for giving a bed or a room to a visitor, or for supplying their basic needs. The Christians took this tremendous feast time hospitality and made it an everyday thing. So in other words, the Christians came together and they're like, listen, we know this is the game plan, this is what you do. By the way, it blows me away. Like you literally cannot charge somebody. You have to open up your home. You have to be generous to people. That blows me away. 
But even further than that, they came along, the Christians came along, and they said, we're going to go further than just maybe giving money. We're going to go further than just, like, opening a home, like, every now and then or during Pentecost or during a certain, we're not going to be about religion. But we're going to go even further than that and have this relationship with the Lord that overflows into a relationship with other people that is generous to people and that says anytime anybody has a need I'm, I'm going to be generous to that I'm not going to wait till Pentecost I'm not going to wait till the Lord's Supper I'm not going to wait till this time or till that time I'm going to be generous with what I have right now and that that is a big moment for us because we have to think in our lives and I'm guilty of this man I'm so guilty of this of, of only waiting to remember like with the Lord's Supper, until the Lord's Supper, it's like, why isn't that a part of my quiet time every morning? Or only being generous when there's a homeless person by the street. And I'm like, why in the world am I only generous during that moment? Or why am I only generous during giving my tithe online? Like, why am I only generous during these moments? And so I encourage you guys, ask God to point out things inside of your life that you can be generous with, that maybe even you could sacrifice if you want to go another level. Hey, what can I sacrifice in my life? Uh, I know I probably can't sell much, but like, what can I sacrifice in order to be generous, to be selfless for someone else maybe that God is going to put us in contact with? Leads us to our last point. We need consistent community. Consistent community. Verses 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Some of you need to take note of that. They were glad and sincere hearts. Like some of you are depressed all the time. You don't need to be doing that. Be glad. Be, be sincere. That's good. Take note of that. For, uh, verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This, this is, okay, this is crazy. In and of itself, how, how Scripture is telling us kind of the timeline of everything, what they're giving up, what's going on. And then they kind of come with verse 46 and 47, saying they're going to continue doing this, they're continuing doing that. And then verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then it's kind of like one of those sentences, you're like, why in the world is that even in there? Like, they just added that in there. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it, it goes from saying, do this, do this. Be generous, have fellowship, block all these things, right? To saying, at the end of the day, man, when you, when you listen to the Lord, when you obey the Lord, whenever you call on the Lord, look what happens. Heavenly and eternal things happen whenever you put this into perspective. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. And, man, I, just, I think about our story, and I'm like, man, if, if we took God up on this, right, in this relational lesson that we are talking about, what will our verse 47 be inside of our lives? W will the Lord add daily to our number those who are being saved? Will the Lord add daily to the number those who are being baptized? Will he add daily to those who are joining the church, those who are turning from their sins? Like, it makes you wonder, like, what in the world would be our story if we took God up on this offer, right? But it's, it's interesting. i got to finish up. It's, it's interesting. Think about this. It's going to be on the screen. Notice that there are two different meanings for breaking bread inside of this scripture. So it's necessary to break bread in remembering what the Lord has done for us. We all know that. That's verse 42. But it's also necessary to break bread as a lifestyle with a community of believers. If you notice, 
Highlight that, verse 42 and verse 46. So it basically tells you the same exact thing, breaking bread, breaking of bread, but there are two different contexts here. Number one, the first breaking of bread in verse 42 is this whole idea that, listen, you need to remember who I am. Remember who you are, remember who I am. Remember what I've done on that cross? Man, let it hit you like a tidal wave every single day. And the second one comes along, breaking bread, and they're saying, listen, it's okay to have a good meal with people. It it, it is actually natural for believers to get together and break bread, not just in remembrance, but in fellowship with each other, right? it's, It's one of those things like, make it a point. Make it a point to say, we're going to get together and we're going to hang out. We're going to break bread. Man, we're going we're gonna to eat. Man, we're going we're gonna to do some really cool things. And man, if I could just be very transparent, I feel like we fail so hard at this sometimes. I do, man. Like, it's great to be a big gathering. It's great to be a big group. But gosh, how many of us, and there are some of you that are really good at this, but how many of us leave this place knowing somebody else's name? How many of us leave this place pursuing or desiring to hang out with some good Christian friends? How many of us can truly say that we're coming together for worship, that's incredible, that's great, but that we're leaving this place with an incredible mindset that we are going to break bread with people, we're going to hang out, and we're going to actually do things that glorify God with other people. We're actually going to do things that we're not going to regret tomorrow morning. We're actually going to pick these people inside of our lives that will fuel us to be better believers, more bold believers, that will encourage us to go on mission, that will encourage us to talk to people, and be nice to people, and encourage us to get more involved in church, at what point do we as a group get to that? At what point do we as a group say, we're gonna gonna break out of our boundaries, and we're gonna break bread with people, and we're we're gonna have fellowship, we're gonna have biblical fellowship with people. One study Bible summed it up like this, and we're gonna close on this. The church is meant to worship God and learn his word together. But think about this, yet it is meant to do even more. God wants us to share our lives with one another. Oh, man, we can check that, check that box right there. The church is meant to worship God and his word, learn his word together. Man, that's what we're doing tonight, right? But it's meant to do so much more. We're meant to share our lives together. We're meant to share our struggles together. Man, this, this past week, speaking of sharing struggles, man, it's been one of the hardest, like in our college ministry, because things have happened that are way beyond my control. And, and I don't know if it's just like, I don't believe in coincidence, so maybe it's God, like, I don't know, driving home this lesson for me, what it means to do life with one another and what it means to get really bad news over the phone, what it means to get really bad news whenever you're not prepared for it, what it means to walk along somebody who has zero clue what to do. Or like what it means for a student to get up with you and they have no idea what's next. Because you're like, man, I messed up. And I've seen this in my life this past week in our ministry and in in my family. And and it's it's one of those things to where I'm like, gosh, nobody wants to go through it. Nobody wants to ever experience that or feel that. But like, 
how often do we put ourselves in the category of, man, we're vulnerable and we want to do life with people. And we, we want to we truly share it with them. We want to we point them to the word whenever the word's the last thing they want to hear. We want to point them to prayer whenever the last thing they want to do is pray. And, and we truly, man, we want to we wanna get in, in the mud, even if it's with, for somebody else. And man, I just, I just believe that God is calling us. I believe that he's calling us, not just me, but he's calling all of us to say, man, we're willing to, we're willing to be selfless. We're willing to give up whatever. We're willing to walk with these people for the sake of the kingdom. I don't know what it's gonna look like in the long run. I don't know how it's gonna turn out. It's never pretty, it's never comfortable. Sometimes I was even left speechless and I'm never left speechless, as those of you that know me. And Sometimes you're just left speechless. And, and, but how many times, how many times do we truly put ourselves in those positions to where we're like, oh gosh, I desire the, the kingdom so much. I desire heaven so much that, that man, I want to do life with people. And doing life with people is not just good and happy and satisfying, but it, it is hard. It's tough. It's discipleship. It's staying for a D group and you hearing somebody's worst nightmare. It is staying and taking up for someone who doesn't even deserve it. So we're going to end on that tonight, and, and my, my goal for you, my challenge for you tonight as this band leads us is I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to get to that point in your life, and God knows if I could make you, I would, but to get to that point in your life to where you, you're willing to give up whatever, you're willing to put it to the side, you're, you're willing to move around some things, you're willing to sacrifice, you're willing to plug in some biblical words to your life and to say, because because God, of what you've done for me, God, I don't take it lightly, and God, I know someone else needs they, they, need, they need that love. If I truly understand you, God, they need that love. So I want to challenge every single one of you, as this band leads us, to do whatever you need to do. Maybe, maybe get in your pew. Maybe come forward. Maybe go to the back. I don't care. Do whatever it takes for you to get to an understanding and for God to rock your world and to say, I'm going to get serious about being relational with the people inside of my life. So let me pray for us, and then you guys break off. God, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, for your word. We know that without it, we're nothing. God, without it, we, we have no direction. But God, we thank you for, for sharing these 66 books with us. God, we don't deserve them, but God, we, we thank you for your grace. And so, Father, I pray over this group tonight, God, that however you need to deal with people, God, that, that you would have free reign to do that. That, God, your spirit would break hearts. God, would penetrate souls. I pray that, God, during this time, as this band leads us, that, God, if people would be drawn to a relationship with you, they'd be drawn to repentance if they are a believer. God, I pray that, God, you would do what only you could do in this place. And so, God, we pray, we pray as we sing that, God, you would get us out of the way and that people, that people would be drawn closer to you in these next few moments. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.